Tonight's a good night. Uh, my friend Rick's been away for a long time. He's back with us. Uh, why don't you just give it up for him? Uh, he's been away from the family. And uh, I'm just glad to have him back and well. Alex and Kate, wave at everybody. Uh, we were in mini church together a hundred years ago, and, and uh, Alex uh, uh, has, is a, is a well, you're full colonel, right? Lieutenant, Lieutenant colonel. But uh, he's about to turn himself into a civilian, and the military likes him so much that they turned his job into a civilian job. He's going home on a Friday as a lieutenant colonel retired, and he's coming back to work on a Monday in a suit and sitting at the same desk at the Pentagon. Uh, Alex is a guy that is, uh, uh, his desk, as I remember the story, was one floor above the wing of the airplane that came crashing through the Pentagon. Uh, if that thing had been 10 feet higher, he wouldn't be sitting here with us, and uh, we all know about God's grace. And Peter, wave at everybody, or stand up, or do something. Peter is, it, I can't, not even going to try and pronounce his last name, but he's a guy from Compassion International. He walks up to me tonight, he's got a hat on. And, and I, there's a guy that used to come around here that was wanting to be a pastor about five years ago. And we were trying to hook up in a discipleship group that I was doing. And I totally, and I go, I haven't seen you for the longest time. And it's like, yeah, what, four months, three months, two months? <laughs> it's not long at all. Anyway, uh, we're all here and we're all glad about it. And we're going to have a good evening. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians tonight. And uh, we're starting in chapter 5, the first verse. And the message is called making the most of it. And it's really Paul talking about uh, that we're all going to go to heaven someday, and we got that to look forward to, that we got a little foretaste of heaven in what the Lord is doing in our lives here. We were talking about this in mini church this week. In fact, one of the scriptures we're going to look at, uh, we were actually discussing. One of, one of the guys in our mini church uh, is a guy that has had a very, 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 very violent past. Uh, I... I, uh, I don't like to talk about those kind of things because I don't think they bring glory to God. The glory is that God has transformed him into the man that he is today. And we were talking about that. And to me, a uh, miracle of all miracles. I've seen people healed. I, I've seen financial miracles fall out of the sky. I've seen some pretty phenomenal things because I'm old and I've been around this for a long time. But to me, the greatest miracle of all is when the Lord transforms somebody's nature. And... Uh, and, and, and yet there still is a process. That's what we were talking about in mini church. There's a guy who is, has turned from uh, heavy drug use, heavy violence that went along with what he was doing in that industry. Let me just leave it there. Um, to being a real gentle person. And, and yet he's gone, you know, the day I finally gave my life over to the Lord is the day I was absolutely delivered from any temptation whatsoever towards drugs. And he goes, but inside of me, I still struggle with anger. Inside of me, I still struggle with a sense of, of, of justice and revenge and all that. And, 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 he's, and, and, and he's weeping. I, I don't want to be this way. I want, I want to be done with this. He's not doing the stuff, but he's still inside. This is called sanctification. The Lord kind of ironed and wrinkles out of your life all through your life. You know, the modern versions of the Bible, like we read, don't have the word sanctification. They use 10 words to describe what it is, but it's God washing you up. And, 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 and so we're in that process, and, and he's, clean, he's continuing to do that. But as Paul talks tonight, he talks about having been made into a new creation in the Lord, uh, in the good old here and now, um, making the most of the life that we have, and making the most of our time. And I was thinking of just how to get into this, and 
uh, two, two little stories came to my mind. I, I uh, can remember when I was in college, and I, I went to a, a small private college, as did my wife, and both of us had to work full time because our parents couldn't afford to give us anything to go to school, either one of us. And uh, my, my mom supplied me with enough money to put in a pay phone and call home every two weeks uh, while I was in college, and that was, that was it, and the rest of it was my deal. So I had worked in high school, I'd saved money, and then I, I just had to have a 40-hour job. And, and I, I went from, I had several jobs. I worked at UPS loading trucks, which was a great paying job. I was getting Teamsters wages, and, and, and at that time I weighed like 123 pounds. I was as tall as I am now, and I weigh about, um, about 185, right? So I was pretty skinny. And I lost five pounds in a month in this job, and, and I couldn't do that anymore. So I, and I landed a job at the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. And I want you to know that for about two years, I issued every single traffic ticket that the county ever gave out in Los Angeles. I did. I did, because I worked in the storeroom. And I, 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 I issued the tickets to the, to the sheriff's stations so the cops could go out and do what they did. And, um, but it was one of those jobs where um, you didn't have very much work to do. If I went in and hustled in about an hour and a half to two hours, I was done. And I was working eight hours. And um, so, you know, trying to make the most of my time. I'm, I'm going to school full time, uh, full Full, full load, you know. It was Vietnam War. You had to have a full load or you weren't going to be in school. And then I'm working 40 hours a week, and, and I was already married. I was married at 20. And so I, I, I'd start bringing my books in, and I'd start studying on my breaks. And then I'd start studying a little bit long because I didn't have any work to do, really. And then my boss kind of let me. And, uh, and so then I began to just kind of sit there, and, and I would, you know, I'd get my work all done, and then I'd do my homework. And and it was a pretty good setup. And then I had three bosses. It was a kind of a weird thing. I had a, a the, 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 the big boss really liked me. It was a woman. And w the day she hired me, she hugged me. And it was like, you know, she was probably old enough to be my grandma, but she really, really liked me. And, um, and, and so, one, but I got another boss who I sit right kind of next to, and I don't know really what he does. He, he just kind of there, and I do all the work. Uh, he trained me, but other than that, I do all the work. And he had lied about his age to get hired. Uh, when, when I knew him, he was already 75 years old, and he was still working for the county of Los Angeles. He had told them that he was in his 50s when he was in his late 60s, and so they hired him, and he had this job, and he was a really nice guy. His name was Bill. And then there was another guy that was Bill's boss, and I don't know what he did. I, I do know what he did. He ordered stuff for us to give to the sheriff's department, you know? And, um, and then there was the boss, boss, the lady. She was in another department, but she ran this big section of a lot of people. And so I'm on good terms with everybody. And what, one day the big boss lady comes in, and she catches me doing my homework. And she just explodes. What is going on here? And I think, oh, no. You know, I thought she liked me. I'm dead. And uh, she scolded my boss, not my boss's boss, just my boss, <clears throat> for letting me do my homework in full view of anybody that came in that door to get stuff for, from our department. And you need to build an office for him. <laughs> and so we stacked up a whole bunch of cartons, and so I'd be hidden from view, and, and I 
went on life as usual, and I did my homework, and, and it, was a, it was a great deal. But, you know, this whole idea of just making the most of your time sometimes isn't so pleasant. You know, I have told you the story. I'm not going to bore you with it, but I saw a vision that caused me to decide to move to Hawaii. And, you know, you could read about it in the book I wrote, Let Go of the Ring or whatever, but it was a, a weird one, and, I, and I'm not a vision kind of a person. You know, I just, if you tell me you had a vision, I'm going to look at you kind of funny. Uh, but this very weird thing happened, and everything that was all about that vision actually has come to pass and far more. And so I really believe it's from the Lord. But it happened in 1978, and part of the vision was five years from now you're going to go to Kaneohe, not to Hawaii, to Kaneohe. You're going to start a church and it's going to become a dominant spiritual force in the community, which it has. And, um, but five years is a long time to be in a job knowing that your time is getting shorter every day. And so five years is a time that in my life required a sort of discipline, uh, emotional discipline is where it starts. I, I have to stay in love with this job. I, I have to stay in love with these people. I have to give 100% of what I would ever give if I thought I was going to be here for 30 years for these last five years. And as I was in that process, more and more and more people were discovering that I was leaving because I sort of, uh, as, as it would leak around and people come, are you moving away? I heard you're moving away. I'd just tell everybody, yeah, I am, but don't tell anybody. And my goal was actually that they would tell everybody and that by the time we made the public announcement, everybody in the church would go, oh, I already knew that. I'm, I'm on the inside, right? And, uh, but boy, I want you to know that, 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 that it wasn't easy. It was, it was hard. It was, you gotta, you gotta pay attention to what you're doing. You gotta focus. You gotta stay in here emotionally. Uh, you just gotta make yourself up for every single day. And that's really what Paul's talking about. Because we all know that this isn't the end of it. You know that beautiful song that we sang tonight? I can't remember any of the words. They talked about when my time has come, I'm going to still sit and then sing praises to you for 10,000 years and more. Uh, we all know. You know, I, I, I remember looking at my father laying in a casket. And uh, it, was, it was so strange because I've seen a lot of bodies in my life. In my job, you see a lot of bodies, right? And, uh, you know, all the jokes about, oh, he just looks just doesn't look like himself at all, or, or he looks just like he's asleep, and whatever. I want you to know my dad looked like nobody was home. There's a perfectly good body laying there, and uh, he had had Parkinson's, and, and eventually that's what took him out. But there's a, other than that, there's a perfectly good body there, but, the, but it, was, it was just real obvious nobody's home. And then we have a photograph that we took right around the funeral uh, of our family, and my mom is there. And she got this kind of weird look on her face, kind of like, you know, kind of smirky, like, I am so out of here. And, and four months later, she, she, her, her, her coronary artery ruptured, and she wouldn't let him do surgery. She'd already had open heart surgery before, and she didn't want it. And, and the doctor's giving her gas about it, and she's going, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be with my husband. And, and they still give her more gas, and, and they actually told her she'd live two hours. She made it for 40 hours. We all got to say goodbye on the phone and all that. But finally, she just turned to the doctor and said, you obviously don't know Jesus. <laughs> well, we do. 
and, and we know that we're so out of here. You know, there, the time is coming when we're going to go, and, and whether it's in this life through physical we die, or the day that the Lord comes back, uh, we're, we've got a better place waiting for us. And Paul's talking about that, but he's saying we have a foretaste of that in the Holy Spirit in our life and all the good stuff that happens to us. On, and, and yet on the other hand, while we're here, we're expected to bear down and discipline ourselves and make the most of the time that we have and make this life count for something for the Lord because we are going to go to heaven. Am I making sense? You've heard the whole sermon. You can go home. It would be nice if we got in the scripture. Um, it starts out here, and it says in uh, verse 1, For we know that this earthly tent we live in is taken down. That is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven. When this earthly tent is taken down, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. So that's a promise. We're not going to be floating around out there someplace. It, 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 Paul talks about it over and over. We will have a new body. This corrupt body will pass away, and we will have a new body that's raised. And, and it says here, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. Don't know about you, but I do. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we'll put on heavenly bodies. We won't be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. And I don't know quite what that even means. But it's a, it's a kind of a nice thought. I mean, more than a nice thought. It's in the scripture. But that we're not, we're not like, oh, just, I just want to be out of this body. But, but Paul's talking about it as though it's a transformational experience. And somehow this fragile earthly body becomes clothed in a new body that, that's full of life and, and full of vigor and full of whatever for eternity. You know, uh, this whole idea that we have, most of us, our theology of heaven comes from the, the comic strips. You know, people sitting around on a, on, on a cloud with a harp. Uh, that would be very boring for eternity, I think. And the Bible says, and I'm not going to get into it, but there's several places where it suggests that there will be tasks. I mean, Jesus said, You'll rule and reign with me. Over what? I don't know. It doesn't say. But over something. There's something to do up there. And so we're, we're, we're looking for this, this filling up with life that God wants to do. Verse 5. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. That's real important. Underline those words if you got a pen out. As a guarantee, he's given us his Holy Spirit. What has the Holy Spirit done in your life? You know, what has God done that is, is supernatural and is miraculous, that has uh, maybe transformed the way that you live your life? Uh, maybe it's given you faith. Maybe there was a time when you're really down and you needed an injection of hope and just at the right time something happened and, and, and you were changed. I was with a friend of mine yesterday who uh, blew a tire in terms of his, of his Christian walk, his whole life uh, with the Lord, his life with his family. And... Uh, and in in it really messed up big time, and I, it's it's very weird. You know, I, I talked to his wife, and she told me this, but it was real obvious. Um, he 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 screwed up bad, but the Lord somehow, in the process of him repenting and wanting to get his life right, 
the Lord remade him into a whole better person than the guy that I knew for, for 30 years. It's just amazing to me, the things that God does. Well, that Holy Spirit of God that lives in us and does these things and answers our prayers in weird ways that we know got God's signature all over him, he's like a down payment of hope on what is going to be there. We know that heaven's going to be better because of what we taste of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, we are confident even though that we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident. We would rather be away from these early bodies for then, earthly bodies, for then we'll be at home with the Lord. So because of the Holy Spirit, we have a sense of the reality of heaven. Because of what is going on inside of our lives, the, the changes that are in us, the changes that are in people around us, the answers to prayer, all that, we have a little taste of what it's going to be like over on the other side, and it gives us hope. You know, there's a scripture, and I've got several little companion scriptures I want to give you tonight. And if you're writing notes, just write down the, 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 the address to the scripture in the margin of your Bible or something, and you can look it up later. But in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, in the New American Standard Bible, it says it this way, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. It goes on to say, a hope both sure and steadfast that's anchored within the veil. It's talking about Jesus being our hope, that's, that, that we're tied to Jesus who's anchored in heaven with the Lord, behind the, the veil in the temple in heaven, wherever that is. And, and that's actually the scripture that gave us the name for Hope Chapel. You know, there was a time when we were getting ready to start a church. My wife and I were scared to death. And uh, we, we knew this little empty building was going to be where we would go and, and start this, this church. And uh, there were actually a few people went with us. There were 12 of us that first Sunday. But in the lead up to that, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been keeping a little notebook and writing down ideas and thoughts and things that we wanted to do a little different than the tradition we grew up in. And, and one of the things that we were looking for was a name. And, and it, we started in Beachtown. Actually, we always talk about Hope Chapel Hermosa Beach. But we actually started in Manhattan Beach right next door and then eventually moved to Hermosa. And so uh, we, had, we had this little location, and, and that was even a miracle. I, I had, you know, five, six years before, I'd driven down the road with a bunch of junior high kids, and, and I'm going, I'd like to live in this town. I wonder if there's a four-score church in this town. Coveting somebody else's job. And as, as soon as that happened, I looked up, and there it was. And this little building, and, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I want to be the pastor of that. I mean, coveting, just, you know, God moved that guy out. Well, what really happened was the guy passed away probably within weeks of that, maybe just before. And the church ended up shrinking down to zero, and they closed it, and they were going to sell the property and give it away. And uh, I'd had some several weird experiences along the way that were pointing me, that is the place you're supposed to be. And one day I walked into a guy's office, and they said, they're shutting the church down, they're going to sell the property, but if you want it, you can have it. And I go home, and she just quit her job, which was 60% of our income, and we were going to get by on whatever I was earning. And, and um, I was a youth pastor at that time, and, and she was ironing, and Carl was sitting in the high chair with carrot all over his face. And, uh, and, and I, I said, you know, the thing's available. You want to go do it? And, and, and she just puts her iron down and says, let's do it like that. I mean, that's this woman, faith. faith. And... Uh, so I'm looking around for church names, and every time I come up with a church name, I look in the yellow pages, and there's already a church in that vicinity somewhere that's got that name. 
And, and one day I was praying. Is it okay if I tell you these stories? I, this, this, this doesn't have very much to do with the sermon. I'm just <laughs> rattling around. Tomorrow morning I'm going to have to edit it real short. But um, So I, I, I went to this kid's house to, to sign him up for camp, register him for camp, like we're registering for the Europe thing. And so I, was, I went over to pick up his money to go to camp, and, and his parents were both psychiatrists. And I, I remember feeling really proud of myself because there, there was a book on their shelf. Their whole living room had bookshelves all around it. And there's a book on their shelf, and I had the same book on my shelf. And I'm thinking, two shrinks got this book, and I got this, you know, I'm so buddy. <laughs> and uh, I had to go from there. That was in the south end of the San Fernando Valley. I had to go way north of the valley up into a place called Newhall uh, to pick up another camp registration because I was trying to get a bunch of kids to go to camp. And, and I started driving north on the freeway, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, go to Valley Book and Bible Store. And it's like, no, I'm already got to go out here and I'm on my way. Go to Valley Book and Bible Store. And so this nagging thought. So I go and I'm thinking, if this is the Lord, I'm going to come out of this thing with a name for the church. And so I go, and I, and I, but I'm also thinking, this is probably not the Lord, you're really being stupid. And so I go, I'm going to go in, I'm going to walk from the front of the store to the back of the store, and I'm going to walk back out. And if something catches my eye, fine. If it doesn't, then fine, too. And so I, I go in. The first thing I see is makes me kind of angry is I see all these anchors, these, these jewelry and bookends and posters and all this stuff with this scripture on it. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Now, uh, here's my thought. I mean, Ralph, nice, not cynical Ralph, everything. I'm thinking... <laughs> They already sold as many of those little fish dealies as they could sell and make money on, so they had to conjure up another one. They come up with a stupid anchor thing, and uh, that's dumb. And so I walk all the way to the back of the store, and there's a book by an author that I like named Francis Schaeffer. It's a brand-new book. I pick up the book, and I'm looking at it, and, I'm, and as I'm reading the book, kind of thumbing through it, I, over my top of my eye, I see another book on the shelf that says, early Christian symbols and their meanings. And so I go, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I am going to get a name for the church out of this thing. So I go over there, and I grab this book, and it falls open, I swear, to an anchor. <laughs> it didn't look anything like the ones they were trying to sell, but it was an anchor, and it's got this scripture in it. And so the, the, I, I, then I, okay, okay, we're going to call this thing Hope Community Church. And I go on my way. That's the name of the church. So I hit the yellow pages, and there already was a Hope Community Church, so we became Hope Chapel. How's that? <laughs> but it's saying that Jesus that you pray to is your anchor in heaven, and it's a picture of something that wouldn't mean much to us, but in early times in the Mediterranean world, if you were in a calm when there was no wind, they had a little boat that they would call the forerunner. The, John the Baptist was called the forerunner of Jesus. Jesus, in another place, is actually called our forerunner, who's in heaven. And the forerunner would take the anchor of the boat. There'd be a bunch of sailors in this little boat. They got the ship's anchor. They weren't very big ships in those days, so the anchors weren't that big. They got the ship's anchor, and they row it out as far as the line will let them go. And then they dump it. And the Mediterranean's a fairly shallow sea. They dump it to the bottom. It hooks. And they winch the, the, the rope in, and the ship moves forward. 
and then they take the forerunner and they put the anchor out there again. And the picture here is of Jesus is our anchor in heaven and we're being pulled toward him and we're going to be there. So, am I making sense with this? It's, it's, it's quite a, a picture. So Paul is saying that we've got all this hope and, and talks about our, our changed lives and all of that. And you guys that are running the PowerPoint, I, there's, I'm going to skip some scriptures that I got in the sermon because I got to telling too many stories, so I'm sorry. Um, go to verse 9. It says, So whether we are here in this body or we are away from this body, our goal is to please the Lord. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Now, did you know that? We must all stand before Christ to be judged. I, I think that sometimes we, in, in, in American Christianity, we have such a, a, a massive overdose of grace in our thinking that we forget about works because they go hand in hand. You know, the, 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 the Bible says, you know, you're talking about faith, then show me your works. It says that in the book of James, and I'll know you got faith. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith. Now, the faith, faith works the process of God's grace. What's grace? Grace is, is treating you better than you need to be treated. It's, it's grace is forgiving you of all the garbage in your life when you don't deserve forgiveness. Grace is accepting you into God's heaven when he's perfect and holy and you're not. But it says, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of works lest any man should boast. You can't work your way into heaven. But then the next verse says, for we are saved unto good works that we should walk in them. In other words, I don't get saved by doing religious stuff. But I'm saved unto good works so that I can do good things with my life in the time that I'm here. And whether those good things are, are I, I mean, I just heard about you guys, Ron and Patience, again, uh, getting ready to get involved with autistic kids in our church. And it's like, Oh my gosh, these people just blow me away, the stuff that they're always doing for people. And they built a room onto their house so they could house people and, and, and look after people. They're, they're, I mean, this maniac over here that gets up here, you know, spends all week in the hospital and then leads worship every Saturday, I, I, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. But, you know, Peter's here tonight. And 700 people in our church roughly signed up for Compassion International. Uh, we're getting ready to do... Uh, Samaritan's Purse. My wife's been storing up stuff and everything, getting ready for, for all that. All the stuff that we're doing to, to do, and, and you know what, quite honestly, things like Samaritan's Purse and Compassion International, they are good in their self. They accomplish huge things. But you know what I think they do? They sort of sharpen us up. So we're thinking about other people out there. So when our next door neighbor needs something, we're willing to go over and do something to them, and we and everybody benefits. The people on the other side of the world benefit. The neighbor benefits, but you benefit because you get in line with what God has planned for you is good works that you should walk in them. Am I making sense? And so we're looking for heaven, but we want to make the most of the time on earth that we got and make it count for something. I was with my wife tonight. Usually I'm with my wife. And um, <laughs> I just happened to be with her. Uh, some girl I picked up, you know. Uh, actually, she picked me up. But, um, <laughs> she's older than me, you know. There was a time in our life when she was twice as old as I was. When she was two. <laughs> but we were talking, and, and she's going on about, 
oh, I'm looking for some ministry outlet. And she's telling me about all these different things she's thinking she might do. And I'm thinking, well, good night. You're hosting a mini church and you make dinner for everybody every week. And then you lead a Bible study in your house every week. And you put up with your husband all the time. Uh, you're getting ready for this thing that we're doing here on this, this trip. You're, you're just working all the time, and you're looking for a ministry outlet. And I'm thinking, I wish that I had about a 1,000 of her. Uh, we'd tear the world apart. We need to be people who are going, how can I make the most of the time that I have here on earth? I actually believe this. It's poor theology, but I believe it. I believe that the Lord is capable of, 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 of people getting saved off of things like TV or, or Internet or whatever and then just popping them off to heaven. He could, but he didn't. He left us here to do the job. Evangelism is our job. Our next-door neighbor is going to come to know the Lord because of the way we live our life with our next-door neighbor and the things we say to our next-door neighbor. Am I making sense when I say that? So we want to make the most of the time that we have here. We want to make it count. We want to make our lives, you know, do something that pleases God. Verse 9. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him, or we must all stand before Christ to be judged. You know, the Bible talks about judgment in heaven, and it talks about rewards in heaven. And, and, and the suggestion is that some won't get very much, and others will get a lot. And I don't know what it is. But Jesus said it, and so it's there. And, and so there's consequences in heaven to behaviors on earth. You know, for a lot of us, the whole our whole concept of grace is, I, I escape the fires of hell, I get to go to heaven, everything's fine, I'm going to watch TV. And, and, and God's going, no, 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 no. There's, you do stuff here, there's stuff for you waiting out there. And so there's going to be some sort of a, an accounting given for how did you live your life on earth? Did it count for something at all? Verse 10, we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. This is talking about people going to heaven here. So they're going to be judged. Verse 11, because we fully understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows that we are sincere and I hope that you will know this too. We're, we're, we're working real hard, Paul's saying. He's talking about his own personal life. And then he's saying, I hope that you will do the same. You know, that we ought to be looking for opportunities. This morning, uh, I'm in a discipleship group with a bunch of really fun people, and we're, we're reading a book and, and uh, uh, having a hard time getting through the book. Right? It's a really great book. And every week we get together, and we always end up down some rabbit trail talking about some real-life ministry stuff. And and so, uh, you know, next week is the third week in the book, and next week we're going to look at chapters 1 through 3 because last week we looked at, but we didn't, chapter 1. And then today we looked at, but we didn't, chapter 1 and 2. And so next week, hopefully, we're going to look at 1, 2, and 3. And, but we looked a little bit at chapter 2, and, and somebody popped up with this thing. What we all do is kind of mark up our books and then come and say why this was meaningful to us and it gets us going. And, and uh, there, there was this statement in the book, and it said... I, 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 didn't, I didn't raise my children, I can't remember the exact words, but I didn't raise my children uh, to, to cope with this world. I raised them to change it. And I thought, wow. So it, it actually said it better than I'm remembering it, so I should have written it down, but I didn't. I just didn't raise my children to, to, to somehow make it through this world. 
I raised my children to change the world. And I thought, that's a pretty powerful thing. And so I got little, my little Facebook, Twitter thing going here, you know. And, and so I, I, I got a link even. I'm getting techie. And so I put it on Twitter, and it automatically went on Facebook. And, and right away, boom, you know, I, I get somebody going, thank you for that new paradigm. And it's a, it's a, it's a mom with some young kids that I know. And I, didn't, I haven't looked at it since. I don't know if there's other people that followed up or not, but at least one person. And, and, and it was an easy thing, but you got to just be alert. It's like, oh, that's a cool thing. That would bless somebody else. I'm going to pop it on my Facebook, Twitter daily. And, and, and it did bless somebody within, like, three minutes. You know, are, are you alert? Are you using the time that you have? Carl talked about this last night. There's a thing in your bulletin about the, the book that I wrote, Defeating Anxiety. And uh, Carl was talking about how, you know, flying with people on airplanes that usually they're, they're, they're trying to sleep and they're frustrated and they're bored and they're getting drunk or whatever they're doing. And, and uh, that we had traveled together. We went to Ukraine this year. And, uh, and he was surprised to see how, how, how much I used the flying time to write. Well, I think I've written seven books and all but two of them have been written on airplanes. And this book, Defeating Anxiety, I went on a trip where I traveled to... Frankfurt, and then to Cape Town, South Africa, and then to Dubai, and then to, to Abidjan in the Ivory Coast, and then to Brussels, and then to Chicago, and then to home. And in that time, I actually wrote, it's a short book, but I wrote the whole stinking book and edited through it one time. And, 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 I, and I look at the airplane time, and it's like, oh, hallelujah, I'm going on a long trip because nobody's going to bother me, and I can get so much work done. And Carl was, you know, going on about, you know, how everybody else, it's like, you know, load me up with movies, um, but, but that's precious time. Our life is precious time. What are we doing with our life? Make the most of it. Am I making sense? Well, it goes on, and he talks about loving like Jesus, verse 12. He says, are we commending ourselves to you again? Because actually Paul had, been, had kind of been bragging about stuff he'd done. He goes, no, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Paul had the same problem that we all have today that we still frust are frustrated with. There's people who are into being spectacular, into being famous, into whatever, making themselves into more than they really are, and they don't have a sincere heart, and the world smells it, and it smells bad. And Paul's gone. What we're doing, we're doing for real because in our guts we love the Lord and in our guts we love the people around us. And so it says in verse 13, if it seems like we're crazy, well then it's to bring glory to God. And if we are in our, rights mind, our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us since we believe that Christ died for all and we also believe that we have all died to the old life. We have believed that Christ died for us and we died to the old way of living, which to me is the greatest miracle of all. And he says, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. That we would no longer live for ourselves, but we would live for Christ who died and was raised for us. That the overriding issue in your life would be your relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and that we would live our lives. And this doesn't mean 
because everybody's called to be a missionary or a preacher. It means that whatever that you are, whatever that you do, however that you spend your time, that the Lord would be prime motivator behind your behaviors. Am I making sense? Well, verse 16, he says, we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. And what he's really saying is, we stop looking at other people who are trying to be famous and, and looking at the outward. And really, we, you can't judge anybody else's heart anyway, so why try? So we don't, we're not judging other people from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ, Paul's talking about himself, from a merely puma, purely human point of view. Well, when Paul thought of Christ Jesus from a human point of view, he tried to kill all the Christians, right? And so it says, at one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Paul's actually using his own life, if you think about it. I used to be this way. I hated Christians. Then I met Jesus. Now I'm a different person. And he's putting his own life out there as an example. And he says in verse 17, as he does it, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The Bible, in, in some translations of this, says it this way. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Some Bibles say he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things have become new. You know, I, I think about um, a little baby in the womb. And uh, and what it must be like if, if you were, I mean, because you're not, right? That if you had the ability to be conscious of what's going on around you in the womb, and then you, you know, because you, when a baby comes out, their eyes aren't even focused, right? But you come out. <laughs> Look at all this color, you know? I mean, you went from darkness into light. And, and, and there's a, the Bible uses that as an illustration in one place. New birth. That we were one way, and then we came into to, to the Lord, and we're a whole new way. There's a whole new life that's out there for us. And, and so that you become a new person. In many churches this week, we were talking about this. And, and uh, this one guy that I'm, I'm telling you about has lived this real kind of bad guy lifestyle. And... and uh, and, 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 and he's still struggling. But we're all struggling, aren't you? I, I mean, there's still credit in my life that I wish the Lord would hurry up and, you know, iron the wrinkles out. But he's, and he, and he, but he's new enough in the Lord, he doesn't understand all of that. And so he's kind of going, why is it that God so radically transformed me from what I used to be into what I am now, and I behave the way I behave, but inside me I still get all mad, you know. I still want to do bad things to people. And he's talking about, like, don't step on his shoe and forget to apologize or, you know, in the old days something bad would happen to you. And, 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 and he goes, but that's still inside of me. So what's happened is he's already experienced the miracle of salvation and redemption, and he's radically changed. But then there's still more work for God to do, and there still will be more work for God to do. But the hope that we have isn't get all bummed out about what hasn't changed yet. Let's rejoice in what the Lord has done and let's let it motivate us to the kind of life that would, would, would be meaningful. Let's make the most of it. Am I making sense? i got 14 seconds left on the clock and I'm not stopping. Um, it says in verse 18, all of this is a gift from God 
who brought us back to himself through Christ. Brought us back to himself. We wandered away from God. God has brought us back to himself. In verse, it goes on in verse 18. says, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So we've been reconciled to God. We became God's enemies. When you're trying to let God do his thing and you do yours and you don't want him interfering, then you're like his enemy. And the Bible says we've been reconciled to God. Now our job is to go and reconcile other people to him. In other words, introduce people to God as their friend. Verse 19, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And when you think about that that way, it's, it hardly feels like preaching. You don't need to preach at people. You need to, 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 to share a message of reconciliation. God likes you, and God likes to be your friend. And why wouldn't you want to be his friend? And by the way, you don't have to change your life one bit to become a Christian. Because if God wants to change you, he'll change you. You know, I, in, in, especially in the, the early days when I was pastoring uh, during the revolution, right? The, the Beatles came to America. The pill came to America. You know, the birth control pill. And drugs came to America all about the same time. And America changed. And, and, and you know, and I, I'm right at the leading edge of the baby boom, so I'm watching all this stuff going on around me. And it, it was just the, 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 the wildest, wooliest times to be around. And, and um, you know, you, 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 you see people, and, and they become God's friends. And, and they're, they're just their, their, their whole outlook on life, everything just settles down and changes. It's incredible. God didn't give us a message of going out and scolding people or banging them over the head of the Bible. He gave us a message of, you know, it, 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 life just works better when you become friends with God. It, it happens. Verse 20, so we, you and I and Paul and everybody else, become Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ and we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we would be made right with God through Christ. I mean, that's the whole message of the Bible, that you could be made right with God and that your life could work out. And I, I say this all the time, but I'm totally certain, at least from my own life, the stuff that I was looking for when I was even a little boy, the kind of things that I was hoping my life would turn out to be like, that those ideas and those thoughts God had put in my heart. But then there was a time when God and I weren't friends. You know, I accepted the Lord as a little kid, but I lived like the devil till I was 17. And when I finally really, really surrendered my life to the Lord, then God starts in this thing. We're reconciled now. We're friends. And all of a sudden, his desires are starting to work themselves out. I'm finding out that God's not restraining me. God's empowering me. And he's making my life into something really good. And then he's given us all that. And he's given us all the message of letting other people know that. That God wants to be on their side. wants to be their friend and make good things happen. Am I making sense? I got one last scripture for you. It's a kind of a companion scripture. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And it says, it starts, well, it says this. 
Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. It's, it's interesting, especially saying this with Peter being there tonight, because I know that one of the things that Carl really has on his mind, because he's now our pastor, he's my boss now, right? And I held that guy in my arms, I spanked him when he did wrong, and now he's my boss. But, what, but, but his goal, one of his big deals, is that this church become known as very, very generous people. And, 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 and so we're doing stuff in Sendai. We're doing Compassion International. We're doing Samaritan's Purse. We're doing m- more than we were doing before. But, but what he's really looking for isn't just that we do things that touch the whole wide world. He's looking that we're, we're, we're touching Oahu and that it, we're not doing it in an organized fashion. We're doing it in a random fashion as the Holy Spirit leads and you interact with people that, 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 that God has put inside of us. Well, what's happened is what it says here, that we consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, that we become people who are very, very sensitive to the needs of people around us so that we're the love and good deeds people, so that people know that and that they can find the Lord through our life and through what we got going on. Am I making headway? You know, I talked this about this a few weeks ago. My friend Wendell Orlento came to church. He actually goes to another church now, but he used to be on our staff and and uh, uh, was one of my really close friends. And we, we kept in touch, even though he doesn't work here anymore. Uh, we keep in pretty close touch. But Wendell, uh, when the Xerox shooting happened and all those people were killed down there, uh, he said that, that God called him to resign from Hope Chapel and go down there and be a pastor at Xerox. And uh, the things he's doing in the downtown community are phenomenal. But what happened was when he went down there, he got this job, and the first thing he did is he went into the place the bad stuff happened. And uh, he thought he said, you know, Satan's had his way in this room. I'm going to go fill this room with God's praises. And the first week on the job, he, he hauled his guitar in early, early in the morning when he thought nobody would be there and just tried to fill the room with worship. And then he got caught by this lady who he was scared of. And when she found out what, she, what he was doing, she said, can you do this once a week? Knowing that it's not like we're going to have a Bible study or everybody's going to come and sing songs about God or anything, just you're going to quietly come down here and fill this room with the presence of God by worshiping God in this place. <clears throat> I don't know if she's a believer or not, but she asked him to do that. And he did. And pretty soon, the word got out. And you've got to think about this. I mean, what kind of word would get out? There's this nutball that comes in every Thursday morning and sings songs in the room to protect us somehow spiritually? Uh, or, or, or what? You know, I mean, if you don't know the Lord, what do you think about that? But the word got out, and pretty soon, he became the designated prayer. In other words... There's no Bible studies going on, no nothing like that happening. It's just that if somebody got a problem, they come sidling up to Wendell. Hey, you pray, huh? Yeah. Uh, Would you you pray for me? And he prays. And and, and he becomes the designated prayer. Well, that's cool. That's good. You know, I I see my wife. Anytime anything's wrong with anybody, she's wanting to pray with them. And, and, And so many times 
it ends up people with tears in their eyes. Who knows what's going on in their heart? That we would be stirred up to love and good deeds. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect meeting together as some people do. Let's be there in church, sitting in the front, right where the pastor can preach at this. And, and then it says, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. As the Lord gets closer to coming back, uh, then lets us get more serious about making the most of the life and the time that we have. Is this good? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love in our lives. We thank you for the transformation that has taken place, is taking place, and will take place in each one of us. Lord, we know that there's these people who have real dramatic stories, and, and uh, they, they make a good point. Some of us are not that dramatic. But, but we do know that we've been transformed. We do know that we've been changed radically from the inside out. And Lord, when we read about this thing of reconciling to God, we know that that's what's happened. We were reconciled to you. And we're, in, we're in league with you. And that's a good thing. But Paul goes on to say that we are now your ambassadors reconciling other people to you. And Lord, we just commit ourselves tonight, each one of us, to, to, to love and good deeds, to be a person that, uh, as other people are reading our lives, what they're reading is Jesus. And that we're able to be your ambassadors and we're able to reconcile other people to you. Lord, that we would make the most of the time that we have here. We just surrender ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Now, I'd like you to keep your eyes closed and uh, we're going to do something. We're going to pray another prayer. And this is almost a ritual with me. I like to always close church by doing this because I always assume that some people came to church feeling 100 miles away from God and you'd like to do something about that. And you'd like to pray and invite the Lord into your life. And I just always want to remind people that the only way to get God in your life isn't by doing religious stuff. It's by just inviting the Lord in your life. You don't have to change. You re honestly don't. If God wants you to change, he will change you. And he probably does want you to change. And if you ask him to your life, the changes will begin to happen. It usually starts with, all of a sudden, I don't desire something I used to desire. And I start praying about it. And then God changes. So all you got to do is just invite the Lord into your life. If you want to pray to do that, invite the Lord into your life. Uh, I want to pray with you. I'll pray out loud. Kind of formulate a prayer. You pray with me. You pray silently. But if we're going to pray together, I want to know that we're praying together. Uh, because I want you to have declared yourself to someone. The people around you got their eyes closed, so it's between you, me, and God. If you want to pray with me to ask the Lord in your life, I want you to tell me that we're going to pray together. Uh, by When I count three, you raise your hand so I can see it. One, two, three. This is one of those nights when nobody did, so everybody looked up. We're not going to fake it here. We're going to pray or not pray. Thank you guys. God bless you.